This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. From which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 157 of the Stacey West podcast. I am Ben, Gaz is with me as always. How are you doing my good man, you well? Yeah, cracking. Cool, right, well we'll... (laughs) We'll move on. Um, what's what's got you? What's got you go this week, mate? And I know, actually, I know it's probably not the best thing to mention on on the podcast. Um, but are you, are you well? What, what's what's keeping you up this week? My heart. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, by the by the time people listen to this, I'll probably be sat in cardiology in Grimsby. So, um, yeah, that's keeping me awake. So, and I'm t- at the same time, which is complete um, kind of contrast, I'm also trying to do the couch to 5K on the treadmill. Um, so, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Your heart starts feeling dodgy, so you're like, oh, no, let's test it. Let's go for a run. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's test it. I'm also quite happy with the result of Scissorgate. Okay. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that because there were more people who uh, admitted to using scissors around the kitchen than any than, than than I expected. One in five, I think we said, didn't we? So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you take that, uh, you know, extrapolate that across the population, you've got quite a good number. I mean, obviously, a a poll with 170 votes is is clearly indicative of the nation. So. Yeah, normally, when I do a poll, I get three times that. Uh, well, you know, my name's Gary. I get bigger following. Well, I mean, that's not what I've said. As <laughs> you said that, I mean, if the cap fits, but I haven't actually said it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I never said it was wrong. Just said that it was strange. Mm. I mean, it is, it is weird to cut up a bacon sandwich with scissors. You know, let's. Yeah, because I think a lot of the people who uh, answered it actually said that they would use scissors in the kitchen, but I don't think that people, um, some people perhaps wouldn't use it for a bacon sandwich. I mean, the specific question was, how do you cut up meat for when you're prepping a meal? So, you know, not necessarily what do you do with a bacon sandwich when you've cooked it and, yeah, cutting it like a, a kid in play school with his, you know, little scissors with the uh the plastic handles it uh, wasn't wasn't really on the list but you know sorry don't all scissors have plastic handles what you know handles what I mean? do you have your scissors made out of are your scissors your scissors are made out of broken glass handles because you're hardcore no i've got is some that... metal i've got some metal handled scissors have you haven't you got any plastic handled scissors i have well then so what you are you a child like the safety scissors no, no, that's not what you said. You said plastic handled scissors, and 99% of scissors, I dare say, have got plastic handles. <laughs> so you are in more of a minority than me cutting up my food. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> okay, yeah. I mean, I, I, you're a walking contradiction, Ben. I'm, I'm a Green Day song. Yeah, there we go. You are a walking contradiction, mining for crypto whilst bemoaning other people who do it for NFTs. No, mm-hmm. I, I've, I stopped mining for crypto a long time ago, mate. Not that long ago. We were yeah, talking about it, was... it this season. 
Were we? Uh, yeah, we were. Ah, oh, don't try and get out of it now. I, I wasn't going to go there, but you picked on me with the bacon. <laughs> I, do, I what is it? I, do as I say, not as I do. Are you a Tory? No, I'm bloody not. Smells um, a bit like it. No, no, I I did. Just calm it, down, it was, Tory boy. It was not calm this down, season. Tory boy. It was, it was this season. It Tory was not boy. this season. Because how could it be? Because we, we we didn't talk at the game last season, did we? Because we weren't there, and it wasn't the season before that. Because I don't think crypto was a thing then. Yes, but but Gary, you seem to forget that we talk each week on a podcast. I remember talking to you face to face, stood near the benches in the fan zone about it. One hundred percent, because you were talking about opening the window. I have a good memory for these sorts of things, Tory boy. Please don't call me that. Well, um, should we call it quits and move on? Yeah, let's do I that. mean, quits in that I've won, but we'll call it quits anyway. <laughs> we'll move on. Quits in that you're the biggest bully, so you just oh, say that you wouldn't I call it at that. bully's harsh. <laughs> I'm a morale builder. Of course they are. Yeah. Nothing no, I'm morale. a morale builder, not bullies. I'm not defending bullies. No, that's what I mean. Like, Of course, yeah, you know, you take the piss out of somebody until they... they, they crumple in a heap crying it's building morale exactly I, i'll take the piss out of someone until they go back to the rest of the tory party <laughs> well is it a party we don't know or is it a tory meeting <laughs> it's a tory know. work event anyway so just quickly did you watch i actually watched the sue gray report thing live um and i'm not i'm not actually I, i'm do you know what I, i'm not political in any way uh, but this has just got me more politicised and just, yeah, it was like a national event. I've watched more of Parliament this week than I have probably ever in my life. I find it fascinating. Yeah, I, I stopped watching. I, I, I'm, I was fairly certain that steam was going to come out when I went to the toilet because it boiled my piss that much. But uh, anyway, should we move on to football? Because I know we've been asked to keep politics out of the podcast before. Yes, yeah, because we're not. We're not, yeah, nowhere near um, informed enough to make those kind of calls on recording, on on recorded, on the record. Anyway, yes, football. Um, Burton, I, I don't really want to get onto it, but yeah, no, Burton game, it kind of happened, didn't it? It was... Uh, <laughs> There's some expert analysis from you. Stacey <laughs> West podcast with their fingers on the pool. Pulse. So the Burton game happened and uh, we lost it. Next. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it was it was another one of those games where coming away from it, you just think uh, it, it it was one of those days. And unfortunately, we've had a few of those days this season that just didn't seem to be exactly what we needed. Um, I thought, you know, there were stages where we looked promising, um, but ultimately <coughs> when you come Sorry. away from the game, you've got two shots on target. You, you don't really expect to win those games. Um, but, you know, um, yeah. What did, what did you make of it from where you were? Cause I, I, um, I was in the crypto cloud end again, um, at the weekend. So didn't really, um didn't really see everything from a normal vantage point so it was yeah sometimes a bit difficult to make out what was going on but um the copious amounts of alcohol could also have something to do with that (coughs) yeah um three shots on target um i think you said two was it three three shots on target according to y scout and i pay for it so it must be right (coughs) (laughs) yeah i think i'm dying here um and you say we don't expect to win those games. Actually, it was a game I thought that was on a nice edge all the way through. Mm. Uh, I didn't think we were outplayed. Uh, we had more possession. Uh, again, as I think I've said loads of times before, three at the back, four in front of them. Burton didn't come to take a point, but they did come not to lose. And I, I think there's a there's a difference between coming and trying to win the game and coming and, and, and not wanting to lose the game. I thought they were a very organised side. Uh, I thought they got some very, very good players. I thought they started brightly. The wind, though, played such a, a part. And I know it's the same for both teams. But we were battling the elements in both halves because in the first half, I, I actually thought the wind was swirling a little bit. But in the first half, we had the sun in our eyes. So it's been, you know, on the attack, it, I think it was very, very hard. And then in the second half, the wind was against us as well. And I know the wind was against them at times. Um, you know, <clears throat> there was a clearance at one point from Josh Griffiths that ended up coming back towards him rather than going over the halfway line. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they they did make a big big difference. Uh, I think the chances that Burton had seemed to be more clear cut, but at the same time, you say only three shots on target. We had twelve shots, um, and uh, and they had fifteen. Uh, that's four fewer shots than we had when we scored three times against Sunderland. It's two fewer shots when we than we had than we uh, when we when we beat Oxford United. So we were still doing the same things, and you know, there's this there's this perception win games good lose games you're bad mm. and you know when i say that i don't mean you know winning is good losing is bad but what i mean is if you win a game i know it's on the player ratings on the site for instance they're higher than any game that you lose i've never seen i don't think i've seen us lose a game and get higher rate player ratings than when we win a game and that's not right because you can lose a game and still play well i don't think we play massively well against burton I don't think we were portsmouth accrington bad um, I don't think that there was a huge difference in the way we played against Burton and the way that we played against Cambridge. I know that we lost maybe even the way we played at times, at times in other games that we won. Fleetwood, for instance, early in the season, I don't think we were any worse than that as well. So I, you know, I, I don't subscribe to this. It was a, a step back. It was in terms of the outcome. I don't think it was in terms of the way we played. There was two players that, that disappointed me massively. And I think that's that was my takeaway, kind of coming away. They dealt better with the conditions than we did. One or two of our players didn't turn up. But on 80 minutes before they scored their second, I genuinely believe either team could have scored and won the game. Genuinely believe that. Mm. I think when we went forward, we looked dangerous just as they did. Yes, Josh pulled off some good saves uh, and and there was once or twice where there were hairy moments but actually and I refer to XG I make no apologies for that but actually our XG was was 1.5 theirs was 2 but 0.6 of their XG came from one 15 minute chance so over the course of the 90 minutes there was very very little between the two teams very little this wasn't one of those games in terms of one of those games where you turn up and, and nothing that you do affects it. This was one of those games where he's on a knife edge and it could have gone either way. Same as Cambridge, we lost it. Same as Bolton, we lost it. Same as Fleetwood, we won it. Yeah, I, 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 when I said it was, you know, it was one of those games where, the, you know, you kind of felt coming away from it, you know, it was a bit difficult. But I, I agree with you to the point, you know, that yeah, it did feel like either team was it could have won it towards the end, but I I think there was that there was a bit of a creeping inevitability at one point where you just think ah oh, we're 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 going to lose this, aren't we? And yeah, I I mean we've spoken briefly off air just before we came on um, about their goal. Um, I think in another game you you see that given as a foul against Cohen Bramall. Um, I don't this is really, their second goal. Yeah, the second goal. Um, you know, I, I think other games you see that given as a foul, um, but yeah, just you know, it was it was a disappointment on Saturday rather than you know a a poor performance. I I, I didn't think it was anything to write home about, but I didn't necessarily think it was awful. Um, yeah, just to, to go on to the the Burton goal. Um, I mean, I've on looking on Y Scout because I can kind of watch these key moments. I can slow it right down to like half speed and and look. And the camera angle is not great, uh, but it does. It looks like there's the group of players, the the the, the little tunnel thing that we always used to do, the the, the the love train, I think, as Danny used to call it. It was that kind of thing. Players, Cowley stack, yeah, whatever, yeah. It sounds like something that you get in a burger joint, doesn't it? A Cowley stack or <laughs> uh, a, a, an adventurous Saturday night in. Um, anyway, so um, just looking at it, it's hard to see. But yeah, look, there's some pull in there and, and Cohen kind of looks to be going one way and he almost then flies the other way. Like there's some sort of graphical glitch. Uh, but uh, that results in the free header and it results in the goal. I get that. But you would still like to think that um, with two other people kind of kicking around there, that that, that somebody might have come to it. Somebody might have, have, have kind of been alert to it. Um, but obviously there was the substitution just before and everybody said, oh, is that why he was so free? It isn't. It's quite clearly Cohen Bramble marking Sam Hughes. It's quite clear that Sam Hughes gets the better of him in a, in a wrestle. If that's given as a foul and you're a, Link, uh, and you're a Lincoln fan, you applaud it. If it's the other way round and it's our defender doing it and then it's uh, our, our, our 
sorry, our player doing it, and then he wins the header and scores. You just go, well, their defender should have been stronger. So I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem really with the first goal from ter- in terms of defending because I think that they take probably four or five touches in the box um, mm. unchallenged before they put the ball in the back of the net and there's no block on it. And I think if anything characterised the game for me, it was whenever we got in a position to shoot, certainly for periods in the first half, there was a lot of blocking going on. Um, and you know, my mate Matt, who I sit with, kind of commented to me and say, you know, they put their, they've got some committed defenders, they're putting everything on the line. And, and in that respect, it was, it was actually a Cowley-esque defensive performance because there was literally every time we went to put a cross block, every time we went to put a shot block, whereas you put a shot through our defenders and somehow, and they're not turning their back, I've watched the replay, it's not cowardice somehow we're not getting the blocks and when we do get the blocks mk dons on uh, on on boxing day it loops up and goes over the keeper and i'm Mm. not claiming bad luck or anything like that look there's obviously we obviously don't defend as well as we could do but there was such so little between the two teams and i still i still think we're on the right track i'm still a little bit worried about sleepwalking into a relegation battle if i'm honest um and, and michael keeps saying we're in a relegation battle we know why we're in it and I think that just typified it. But the, the home form has got to improve. They scored, and, and Gav behind me kind of said, I'm getting sick of watching Lincoln lose at home. Mm. Um, and I am as well. And that's not to say I'm losing any faith in the team, in the manager. I'm absolutely not. I'm just getting sick of watching us lose at home. And, and you know, we could quite easily, that could quite easily have been our first home defeat in three or four because we should have at least taken a point from the Cambridge game. With more better XG than them. We should at least have taken a point from the MK Dons game because we were 2 0 up after however long. You know, we should have at least taken something from the Accrington game as well. So, the last game I watched Lincoln play at home where I thought we deserved to lose uh, and we deserved nothing from the game was Portsmouth, and that was back on the 23rd of November. It's more than two months ago now. So, mm. but, you know, for. Being in being in the game and putting yourself about and all that sort of stuff doesn't win your points, does it? Scoring goals, as so. say. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the positive to take or the, the big positive for me was was the fact that you know there was a ball put into the uh, you know into the six yard box and we had somebody there on the end of it on Saturday. Um, it's something that we've we've said before, we've said multiple times on the podcast. You know, people have said for in general like it, it's obvious that that's what we need at the moment and you know John Marquis again proved it on Saturday two and two I think um you've mentioned or somebody mentioned on on Twitter that there's been not that many players that have scored two and two in the first two games so um yeah really really pleased to see you know Marquis on the score sheet again obviously he's going to be you know, decent going forward. Hopefully, keeps his uh, you know keeps a spell up, and he looks hungry to you know he looks hungry and he looks like he's got something to prove, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does. I liked the fact that you saw him uh, winning defensive headers. He was he did do the Tom Hopper role uh, to a point where at one point he was even the guy out wide putting the cross in, um, mm. which I know is kind of an irritation at times. I'm not convinced that the formation uh, worked as well as other combinations of players might do. I like Liam Cullen, and I, I think that he's a player who could quickly find himself a scapegoat because he's not John Marquis. Mm-hmm. So people are going to look at him and go, well, what type of striker is Liam Cullen? He's playing as an eight. I'm not sure that he was the right signing because I think that Marquis coming in has kind of trumped Liam Cullen, if you know what I mean. It's like, here's a striker. Here's a striker who scored 103 goals. In. So I quite like him. I thought he drifted in and out of the game a little bit, as Luis Fiorini does when he plays in the eight, eight role as well. And I think that's going to be, or, or the 10 role or whatever you want to call it, Liam Cullen wears eight, doesn't he? Um, so that's a crucial role for me. You've got Marquis playing up top. Brilliant. You've got, um, or, or yeah, when I say brilliant, I mean, he's the right player. You've got Scully and Whitaker on either flank. Again, we'll come to Whitaker in a minute in terms of Burton, but, but that should be sufficient to create chances. So you then got to look at that 10. I'm not actually convinced that we've got the right player to play that. I think that Cullen's a nine and I think that he plays instead of Marquis. Um, I don't know who plays there. Luis Fiorini is better there, but that would mean putting Max Sanders in, which seems like kryptonite, I think, for, for Michael at the minute. Um, you know, Obviously, he doesn't think Sanders can play there. 
I am not convinced with Luis Fiorini uh, playing the, the holding midfield role. And I said earlier, two players I felt were, were letdowns on Saturday. I thought Luis struggled. Luis Fiorini. Um, I, I, you know, there's sometimes I look at him and I think, God, why are we ever criticising him? He's looked superb. Mm. And there's other times you look at him and you just think, oh, Lewis, do you know what I mean? You, you just look kind of lightweight. And um, mm. and I think this was this was one of them. I mean, he lost the ball nine times uh, on uh, during the game, five in his own half. And for me, that's that's kind of worrying. You know, if you're mm-hmm. losing it a little bit further up the field, fair enough. But you have got to be confident on the ball in your own half. Um, and, and, and he wasn't for me. Um, I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've said this um, to, you know, to Rach. I'm not sure if I've said this on the podcast before, but I, Fiorini for me is very hot and cold. Like yeah. when he's, you know, when he's having a good game, he's having a stormer um, when he's you know, when he's on, not quite on it, he, he won't necessarily, well, it, it's very obvious that he's not quite on it. And I don't really know what the solution is there. Um, I don't know if it's, you know, if it's something that is going on with him or whether, you know, he just kind of says, well, you know, if he's not having a good game, he's like, well, it's all right. I can go back to Man City after this. But, you know, I don't like thinking that about people because that's just, that's a bit of a shit thing to say, isn't it? But yeah, um, no, I don't think that, you know, and it, it's, it, I don't know what it is, but yeah, he's he's very hot and cold, and I think on Saturday he was uh, certainly on the colder side of it. Um, and yeah, I, I, yeah, frustrating one because um, we know he's capable of of more. In, interesting though, Conor McGrandles actually only gave the ball away one time fewer. He gave the way ball away eight times, four times in his own half. Fiorini nine and five. So I think that's perception again. I think. Because um, I mean, I, I came away saying Conor McGrandles had a really good game, and, and look, I think he did. I think he did play well, and there's more to it than just maintaining possession. But if you had said to somebody, you know, was there a big difference between in how many times those two players gave the ball away? They may have said yes, there was. And I think again, Fiorini's beginning to fall into that Cullen thing. He's a lone player who hasn't impacted as like he who must not be named Brennan Johnson. And I know it's different positions, but yeah, he's a lone player that people are a little indifferent about. And there's just you know. A loan player is either a great loan or a shit loan. In my opinion, fans never really put them in a kind of a, a middle zone. So like last season, you know, TJ Omer, good loan. Brandon Johnson, good loan. Morgan Rogers, uh, kind of splits opinion, but most people would say good loan. Joe Morrell, good loan. Then you talk about Dan and Lundaloo, Jamie Saul, and people like that, and you'll go, oh, they weren't very good loans because they didn't massively stand out. I think Morgan Whitaker could be in danger of, of, of at least dicing between two with Morgan Rogers because, again, people were saying, well, he looked lazy on Saturday. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Actually, in terms of total actions, he did more than he did at Plymouth. In terms of actual shots, he had more shots than he had against Sunderland and he had against Oxford, two games that people say he played very, very well in. His pass accuracy was better against Burton than it was against Plymouth and it was against Sunderland. He, he attempted seven dribbles, four of which were successful. It's the same number of dribbles that he attempted against Oxford, the game where everybody said he's done really, really well. So perception is funny, isn't it? Because I came away thinking he's not done as well. He's one of the players that I didn't think impacted the game as he should. Um, I mean, he played fewer passes, by the way, than he has in any other game. So, you know, I, I don't think it was his best game, but yeah. he needs to get into the, He needs to affect games more. He exploded onto the scene against Oxford, didn't have a bad game against Sunderland, but actually Cambridge and Plymouth both passed him by largely. Mm. Excuse me. No, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I don't know whether it was a case of, you know, Burton doing a job and, and cutting him out of the game or whether he was just sort of having another, you know, having an off day. But um, Oh, he had acres of space at times. Acres of space. I actually think there was a reluctance to pass to him at times. Okay. Um, which kind of, I, I don't think that's a deliberate thing. I just think there was times where I looked and he's in, he's in loads of space. He was up against um, their left-sided centre-back, which is the boy from, I can't think of his name now. I'd have to look it up, Ola Scholler, I think, or something like that. Uh, and, and I thought he was absolutely bang there for the taking. I thought mm. he was there. Uh, uh, Osha Larger. I, I just, do you know what? The first couple of minutes I said to Matt, uh, sat next to me I said he's, he's going to get a booking he got a booking 
said he can be done for pace that boy he's there for the taking uh, ironically he was involved in their their winning goal um so he's obviously got plenty you know he's got something about him but i, I just thought although their defense was good in terms of putting themselves on the line and that sort of thing i, I you know I actually think we could have probed them more. I think we could have pushed them more. You know, and there was one or two of their players. They've got that Terry Taylor. He came on, not impressed. Um, had had me had me up top, who they took off in the first half. Poor. I mean, I like Joe Powell, decent player, but again, I just we lost the midfield battle, and you know that's that kind of that didn't help either. And we're just talking about Fiorini, McGrandall's going to put away a little bit. We. If we'd had, I said this so many times last season, but I genuinely think if a fitly and Bridcut plays in that game, we don't lose it. Mm. Yeah, I, I, when when you have a game like that, it's it's hard to disagree because um, it, it's just that steal in the midfield. You know, a bit of, um, you know, I, I agree with you when you say that uh, Fiorini's not that holding player. I think he he looks a bit better when he gets forward. Um, and I think yeah, you know, if you've, it's an eight or a 10, depending on what you want to call it. Yeah. I think if you've got Bridcut in that team that allows, uh, Fiorini then to move forward. Um, obviously the question then is, you know, who do you take out <laughs> in place of Bridcut? But, but it don't, yeah, it'd have to be, it'd have to be Liam Cullen and you do Marquis 60 minutes and Cullen. And then if, you know, like we've got coming up kind of Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, one of those Cullen starts and Marquis is on the bench. And yeah. I know that would seem crazy, but it's, yeah, it's going to be quite a tight little, um, session, like little kind of period. Yeah. So it's good that we've got the deeper squad, but I'd like to see Max Sanders um, playing the holding role alongside McGrandles. Especially as, let's face it, we think McGrandles is going to leave at the end of the year. Liam Bridcott, there's going to be a point where his game time is going to reduce more than it than it is now. You know, he'll be, what, 33 next season. Unless we're going to go in heavy for central midfielders over the summer. Max Sanders, he's, it, it's going to be like a, a splinter being pushed to the surface, you know? eventually he's going to be there by just natural occurrence. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you say, <laughs> I'm getting to the point now where it's like, you say, oh, well, he's 33 now. And I'm like, I'm 36 this year. And that makes me you. feel, that makes me feel very old. Um, well, yeah, but let's face it. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 43 now. Well, so I'm yeah. ten years older than Liam Bridcut, but yeah, you know, I'm not in. A, I'm not a Lincoln City player. I'm not a professional footballer, and if I was, I, I certainly wouldn't have been playing at 33. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I, I as I say, just it, it felt like a it felt like a game that needed someone to grab it by the scruff of the neck and and sort of you know shake it and get a result from it. And unfortunately, Burton sort of they nicked it. You know, towards well, the end. They, yeah, they give Connor, they give Cohen Bramwell a shake and grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. And, <laughs> <laughs> so, and by the yeah. way, I'm not, I'm not criticising Cohen Bramwell because I didn't think he had a bad game. I thought nearly all of our attacking attempt, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's that kind of, um, there's, there's the metrics, the attacking metrics. And I think I wrote about them, where everything that we did positive came from the left hand side, and. Um, yeah, I I thought Bramall looked looked decent, looked decent. He's done well. Yeah, done no. very well. Yeah, can't can't disagree with that. You know, he's been he's just been well. He's forced his way into becoming the first choice left back, hasn't he? And he's um, you wouldn't have seen that three or four months ago. Really, I really. Have seen it two months ago when he headed that ball back across his own goal against Cheltenham. I thought, I thought that was him basically licking the envelope and sticking it down <laughs> on, it a, off, yeah. on a on a contract to, <laughs> with somebody else. There we go, done and dusted. Um, but it just goes to show you, and, and I don't. You know, he's 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 meant to be marking Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes has scored. I don't blame Cohen Bramall. I think he's just been out muscled. He's not a big, strong kind of lad. For me, he looks more like a winger than a fullback. Um, Jamie Robson, by the way, probably doesn't go down as easy in that situation. But Jamie Robson playing, probably we don't score some of the goals we have done recently because he's not as an attacking. So yeah. this is what it is. I actually think we're quite blessed at left back. And people I've heard criticising Robson, and I think that's crazy. He'll be he'll be back. He'll be, he'll be back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's yeah, you know, competition for places is uh, only a good thing, isn't it? So. Yeah, unless you're the one that's sat on the bench, <laughs> and then you probably don't think it's such a good thing. Um, yeah, and just just to kind of confirm what I've said, we, we there's positional attacks on Y Scout 
um, and, and we had 20, uh, 28 positional attacks. Uh, 13 of them came down the left, eight of them came down the centre. Combined XG of 7.7 for those two, so we should really have scored. Over on the right-hand side, that's the Morgan Whitaker-Ted Bishop side, seven positional attacks, 0.09 XG, and only one of them resulted in a shot. Uh, so we were quite lopsided. And um, Yeah, I think, again, I put this in my review, I, I think to a degree that comes from not... It's easy to go, well, Morgan Whitaker plays on the right, so it's his fault. But you know, we've got an attacking midfielder playing right back. And whilst I thought Ted Bishop had a good game, um, you know, he's the player for me that should be playing in the eight or the ten role. We talk about Luis Fiorini, we talk about Liam Cullen. But I think a, a fit and fire in Ted Bishop in that position, I can mm-hmm. see shades of the George Grant in him, especially the way he's been playing recently at right back. I've seen a tougher kind of side to him than, than maybe we did at the beginning of the season. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens when he can get back into his, uh, you know, into his regular position. Um, that's for sure. If. Well, yeah, <laughs> if if he can get back in there. Yeah. Um, just out on on that topic. Um, obviously, we've heard Michael saying about, um, you know, Walsh and Jackson. A, 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 well, we saw Jackson make a surprise start on Saturday, which I genuinely wasn't expecting. But that's what you know, a surprise is, Ben. Yeah, I know. Thanks, Gary. Um, but you know, you, you're looking at those. Um, you're looking at that, and you know, Walsh and Jackson at the point where they're nearly ready to come back, and um, or they are. You know, in in the case of uh, in the case of Jacko, but is that where do you see the players fitting in when they're back? Does does Regan Paul move back out to to right back, or does Regan Paul stay centre back and um, TJ Oma go to right back, or I, it, it's throw this kind of enforced um, enforced defensive change has, has thrown up a couple of questions that I didn't think we'd see to be honest Paul at right back Jackson and Walsh at centre back uh, and Bramall at left back is what I think will happen um, whether that's what I'd do or not I'm not so sure I'd probably go Ioma Paul Walsh uh, and Bramall actually both Robson and Adam Jackson are more than capable uh, of, of playing in the first team, so actually it'll be nice. Joe Walsh getting Joe Walsh back is is critical, and and I hope that he comes back the same player that we saw in patches last season. Sometimes long spells out injured leave you kind of a long way short, and you know he won't have had a pre-season and all that sort of thing. He's been in and out, so perhaps shouldn't expect too much. Um, but for me, he goes straight in, naturally left-footed, so he goes in at the, on the left side of, of the defence. And I, I may be wrong, but I think Regan Paul went in on the left-hand side of the back four, of the, of the back two, sorry, of the central defenders. That, I think, is telling, because I think it suggests that actually Adam Jackson is the, the first-choice right-sided centre-back. And therefore, Regan Paul will probably end up back at, at right back. Mm. No, that's fair enough. I mean, it's just it's one of those one of those questions that I I can't I don't really know where it's going to go. You know, just uh, thought I'd see where your opinion was. That's fine. That's what we're here for. Absolutely. So, um, I think we'll probably put a put a lid on Burton for now. Um, yeah, why not? Let's move on. Yeah, let's 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 head on. Uh, we've got another striker, haven't we? Sort of. Scored uh, twice at the weekend. Uh, twice did, last yeah. night as well for East Yeah, Ball. Charlie Kendall. Charlie Kendall. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting signing, and it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Um, we we spoke on uh, we recorded the podcast last week on Thursday. Um, which, by the way, you're probably getting it on Thursday this week because. Um, yeah, as I say, Gaz is otherwise engaged tomorrow afternoon, so you're getting it today. Um, and yeah, it, it, we, when we spoke on Thursday last week, we said, you know, genuinely don't really see any others coming in unless phones ring or whatever. And I think Michael said pretty much the same thing. And then the following day, we had another striker. Very strange. Well, not, not necessarily strange, but very interesting one. Um, I wasn't expecting it. Um but what do you know about Charlie Kendall, Gaz? Other than the fact that he scored two last night. Is that you saying you don't know anything? <laughs> trying to be professional. There, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I should take a leaf out of your book sometimes and give it a go. Um, so 
basically, I knew nothing of Charlie Kendall. I'm not going to pretend, you know, I'm not going to say, oh, I signed him on Championship Manager and he scored in the European Cup final because I don't play. Obviously, I don't play because I call it Championship Manager and it hasn't been that <laughs> for two decades. Um, so I did a little bit of research. He, he was at QPR. He was a, a, scored quite a few goals for them at, um, at lower youth level, was loaned out to Eastbourne Borough and then made the decision, I think, himself to go to Eastbourne permanently to play senior football. Um, rather than kind of go back out on loan and that sort of thing. So uh, it seems to be really driven. Uh, for me, there's an element of the Remy Howarth in there in terms of attitude in that he is a, an individual who believes that you know you control your own fate. He's not waiting for anything to happen. He, okay, Remy was released by Blackburn and, and Charlie has made the decision uh, to go to Eastbourne Borough. It's National League South. So whilst there are plenty of goals being scored there, I think, you have to kind of take that into account as well. It sounds to me like he's a natural finisher. And I've said before on the podcast, if you're a natural finisher, you will score goals at any any level at all. The difference between a natural finisher in the National League South and a natural finisher in the Premier League is everything else. It's the fitness and that sort of thing. For a natural finisher, positioning comes second nature. And, you know, I'd, do you know what? I just nearly mentioned somebody as a natural finisher that we said we weren't going to mention on the podcast. I just nearly <laughs> fell into it. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. I am. But I remember Jermaine Defoe at Bournemouth and he was just a natural finisher and he scored in uh, loads for Bournemouth and he scored loads higher up. Charlie Austin, Jamie Vardy, we talk about it all the time. For me, that's what Charlie Kendall looks like. And you know, I've watched some of his clips from Eastbourne. Um, there's not a lot available. He's quick really like quick likes to run in behind i think a very different type of striker to ben house and you would like to think that in three years time lincoln's forward offering would be ben house freddie draper and charlie candle it won't happen like that never does um but you know they look like the three the three of them look like they've got the potential to develop what excites me I'm not going to pretend that I think any any of those three are going to be massive world beaters. They might be, they might not. What excites me is that we have finally got strikers who might come good. And you go back to even kind of, you go back to the very start of the Danny Cowley era. We were always very low on strikers. It was always one or two strikers in. It was never, we never had four or five strikers. We always had kind of a handful and they were always just rotated and they were, you knew who they were. It was, you know, Matt Green, Matt Reed, or Ollie Palmer. It was John Akindi, Matt Green, or uh, whoever else came in. I can't remember who else we had up front that year. Do you know what I mean? It was never, was that Matt Reed? Yeah, it was Matt Reed as well. I want it. Matt Reed, John Akindi, and Matt Green for a while. I like it. I, I, I always use, and, and whether this is going to be a segue or not, I always use MK Dons signing Charlie Brown as a classic example. They signed Charlie Brown from Chelsea, and he doesn't get lots and lots of game time, but he's that striker that you just know that he, he might get a run of 10 games, and if he gets 10 games and score five goals, people look. And you only have to look at Max Waters, who was at Crawley. And he, had, he had six decent months when he was on fire, and Cardiff paid a silly sum for him. That's all you need. All we need is Charlie Kendall to come back at the beginning of the next season, play 10 games, or, or wouldn't be that because you'd have to wait till the transfer window. So play for six months, have 13 goals or, or 10 goals by Christmas, and he's young, he's fast, he's got 10 goals, somebody's going to pay you big bucks for him. And, I, you know, that's the roll of the dice. So. Mm. Yeah, no, but it's... Um... It, it's it's one of those signings where you know, obviously the fact that he's he's gone basically straight back out on loan, um, it it shows that we've well we've got depth that we didn't have this time two months ago. You know, it's a an interesting signing, and uh, hopefully, yeah, one for the future that's going to be um, one to watch. Probably one of the first Michael Appleton loans that's gone out on loan and will actually come back and have a future at the club. <laughs> that's not a dig. That's no, what, yeah, Michael tends to. Yeah. We we tended to use loans in the past as a pathway for them to find something else in the future, and that's Max Melbourne, it's Alex uh, Alex Bradley, it's Remy Howarth, it's you know Zach Elbazetti. It's for them to find a pathway. Theo Archibald is in the balance, but I don't think his future is at Lincoln. I think he's gone out on loan and he will come back as an asset and will be treated as such. Charlie Kendall is probably the first one. Uh, maybe you you could then argue Sean Rowan, Sam Long. Um, potentially as well, you know the the youngsters. So, not entirely fair comment, but you know where I'm coming from. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so 
on that, um, probably decent spot to, to look at um, the transfer window as a whole. Um, if you want to quickly go over it, I mean, how would you say that the hour transfer window has gone? I've seen a lot of people, a lot of people praising it overall. Um, I think we've, you know, we've obviously done the business um, early doors. We've got the players that we needed in. And uh, I think, yeah, Monday was um, was one of those nights where you could just sort of sit back and, and not worry about your phone buzzing with news of an incoming player, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, you know, I, for fear of repeating myself, because obviously I'd done the dog walk video on it. Um, uh, if I was to rate, if I was to mark the transfer window in uh, terms, in, in my old school terms, I'd give it a B plus. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think... I personally, as, as as an objective fan, would still have liked to have seen a central midfielder come in of some description. Um, I might like to have seen a left-sided centre-back come in because I'm still not convinced that we'll see the best of Joe Walsh between now and the end of the season. But that's being greedy. That's like getting a PlayStation 5, three games and a controller for Christmas and going, in an ideal world, I would have liked another controller uh, and uh, and a, a sofa uh, so that I was comfortable. So do you know what I mean? It was certainly on paper, it looks like a very good window. You can't say whether it was a good window or not until we get to May. That's mm-hmm. the honest truth. You can't because when the last window closed, I was going, Hakeem Delican looks very good. Chris Maguire looks very good on paper. We've signed TJ Omer. That's superb. You know, we're in a great position. Then you get to December, actually, you look back and you go, oh, TJ doesn't really settle. Chris Maguire has been in and out and fallen out with the fans. Hakeem Delican has been poor. Dan and Underloo was, was poor. So yeah, it looks very good. Early signs are positive. I think there's scope for Whitaker to, to, kind of take a battering from some fans because there's a lot of expectation on him. I think Liam Cullen could, uh, as I said, I think he's going to, he might suffer from John Marquis coming in. I think they're both very good young players though. So we're certainly, we're certainly stronger, aren't we, than we were when we went in to the window. Yeah, 100%. And I think the, the key business really for me was, was keeping the players out of the club and, you know, making sure there weren't any outs. I think, um, Michael, before the window started, was saying that he was expecting one or two outs and, um, you know, sort of as in permanently leaving the club. And we've the only two that we've had have been the uh, the, the two youngsters going out on loan. Um, I'm, I would like to I'd like to think that's probably not the two that he was thinking of. But the fact that we've managed to keep hold of everybody um, has been great, really, hasn't it? I think that's been that's been a bigger thing for me than than some of the incomings that we've had, you know, obviously getting the big name striker in, um, in, in John Marcus and, you know, getting that reinforcement in elsewhere has obviously been fantastic, but I think keeping hold of certain players has been critical for, um, for the window. Well, nobody's going to sign a player with an ACL injury. Well, no, there is that. Yeah. I mean, that's um, obviously, that's obviously one of the, the reasons why, uh, Lewis hasn't gone anywhere. And I, I, I think a lot of the, Scully stuff was rumour. I still say it. People, yeah, the, the, the ridiculous rumours beforehand mm-hmm. about uh, Anthony Scully just really kind of ground my gears. And we've come to the end of the transfer window, and all those people with Scully leaving, Scully leaving, it's done deal, blah, blah, blah. Where are they now? Mm. They're, they're as quiet as a Tory backbench. Oh, here we go again. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, so they're quiet, aren't they? They're, 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 they're quiet. But can I just say apologies to any of our listeners who are Tories? Um, political uh, pol- politics shouldn't be brought into the podcast. I, I just, I just don't like the prime minister. So, uh, my apologies. No, fair enough. I'm, I'm going to withhold my opinion because if you want it, you can see it on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, I think some of those, you know, some of the rumours are obviously chasing social media clout and all the rest of it. But ultimately, we're here with the same squad less Sam Long and uh, uh, Sean Rowan. They're off getting first team football over this, you know, over the close season when we wouldn't necessarily be getting that experience. And, They're not uh, the only ones that went out on loan though, are they? Well, no. Who else went out on loan? Um, Billy Brooks go back to Gainsborough. Hayden can. I don't think, I think they... 
I don't think it was a, a, a huge thing, but I'm pretty sure that um, I'm pretty sure that they went back out on loan, didn't they? Potentially, I, I'm thinking in terms of like the core, the, the first team squad. Um, okay. And I, obviously, I we lost Dan and Lundlu and Archie Mayer. I mean, yeah, Lundlu going though. That I think you said it at the time that could potentially argued as being, you know, argued as being a. Uh, a boost when he left to the front line rather than anything else. But I would never be so flippant as to say such a thing. Um, but yeah, I think ultimately, you know, we're, we are a lot stronger than we were at the start of the window. So that's what you aim for in January. Um, Sorry, Charlie's growling in the back, in the background because he's heard fee go into the lounge. Uh, he's clearly <laughs> not happy about it. Oh dear. Charlie. Hey, dude. What? Calm down. Right, there we go. <laughs> Bless him. Should we move so, on? I was going to say, should we look at MK Dons? If we have to. <laughs> no, do you know what? I say that. I, I While I was running earlier, I was thinking about MK Dons. And my apologies to John Harris already, because I know he listens. He's a good guy. My apologies to uh, Martin Atherton, who I'm sure doesn't listen. But if he does, good guy. And, uh, and my apologies to Liam as well, who's another good guy. But I don't like looking at MK Dons um, because increasingly they piss me off because I look at their squad and you know the amount of money it's being spent yep. is where is above their income. We know that it's been quite oh, they've been quite open in you know for every hundred pound they earn they spend one hundred and twelve pound in wages and for me. That shouldn't be the case. We talk about sustainable football. It's always saying, well, our owners can put the money in. It's all it's all well and good. It's not all well and good. It's not all well and good. It's it's teams like that that are overinflating the transfer market. And I'm looking at MK Dons. I'm looking at the likes of Forrest Green, who you know have the owner that props it up. And they go, oh, it's all right because he's giving us the money. And, oh, they should be allowed to do it. And I don't think they should. Um, and MK Dons have got a wonderful team. They've got Jamie coming in goal on loan. He's he's a great player. They've got Harry Darling. I really like him. Scott Twine, Connor Coventry's gone there on loan, who I think is a very, very good footballer. They've got Josh McEachran. Theo Corbino's gone there on loan, who I think is a very good player. Moisa can't even get a game off the bench at the minute. You're talking a player that they've paid a big six-figure sum for. They've got Connor Wickham just gone there. Haram Boateng's coming off the bench. They have got a really, really good squad. But it's all on tick. It may as well be bought by through Klarna. It's, do you know what I mean? That's the way it feels. And and I, I've got a real disdain for elements of their fan base. And those individuals that I've just spoken about are really good guys. They've got some good content creators. I've got nothing against, you know, a 20-year-old lad who was taken down to watch MK Dons as a kid uh, and, and, and you know, doesn't know about that kind of franchise thing or is, is aware of it. But MK Dons are his team, just like when I went to Lincoln. If we'd only been formed two years before I, and I'm a supporter, I wouldn't then be expected, oh, you're a scab because you support this team. That's my team. And and, and I'm going to I'll defend the fans um, who uh, the MK Dons fans on that thing. But I won't defend the MK Dons fans that verbally uh, attacked Gab Sutton when he went there earlier in the season and Gab is you know a, a league one league two kind of expert championship expert and he made comments on Twitter about um, Wimbledon being the real Wimbledon or something like that and and he, he was actually scared and he had to make an apology because of the way he was treated by fans in person at the ground and I won't I don't want to look at MK Dons uh, in terms of this last weekend away at Wickham where they were singing songs at, at, at Akin Fenwick accusing him of being a sex offender which you can't do now 20 years ago you could do what you wanted you could sing you know where's your caravan of team uh, players with long hair where's your boyfriend when brighton came you could do all of that because it, it wasn't um kind of frowned upon as it should have been but you can't do that now you can't call akin fenwick a sex offender and expect to get away with it it's an offensive song and it's not just that that then on social media in the days afterwards i'm looking at it and there was absolutely no apology being made by the fans that were doing it they were saying look at akin fenwick bringing it on himself how's he bringing being called a sex offender on himself he's walked over right as they're singing it so they're already singing it to him and he's interacted with the supporters and then he's got a steward involved and they're going, oh, he's riled. Oh. Yeah, great. He's riled. Just like he'd be riled if you'd spouted racist abuse. him. Just like I'd be riled if you started calling me a ginger prick. Do you know what I mean? And and there was no contrition. And, and I, I just 
it kind of annoys me because those fans are doing a huge disservice to the likes of John Harris, a, a club that you know, their reputation should be everything to them because they've got to kind of undo Mm. whatever happened in the past whether you think it's right or not which personally i don't by the way because when maidstone folded they wanted to to be a franchise and move up to newcastle and play out of newcastle and the fa refused it so why did they but i'm not going to go there because it's happened so no i don't want to talk about mk dons and we're going to have to talk about them in football terms but i don't want to no i i <sighs> yeah i i wasn't as as vitriolic about stuff until you kind of went on that and i was i was going to try and pull you back a little bit but i thought you know what i'm just gonna let gaz continue because i agree I with my own grave i i pretty much agree with everything that you've said there it's just uh it's it's the whole no one likes us we don't care thing taken to another level at that stage isn't it because it's at that point it's like nobody likes us so we'll do what we want and it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, people are going to get on side with them, but, you know, oh, we don't care. Like, well, no, but I'm pretty sure that certain elements of your fan base will care. Um, no. Yeah, just... If it was us, though, I wouldn't care if people were calling us a franchise. If I'd started supporting the club two years later, I wouldn't yeah. care. And and if the club that um, that we had replaced were, were not exactly perfect anyway Wimbledon were going bust let's not forget that MK Dons didn't just you know they, they didn't pick a random team and go we'll have you and then swoop in like a, a bird of prey taking a baby from the nest mismanagement meant that the original Wimbledon were going bust what should not have happened was a team then kind of buy their way into the football league it should have been like Berry, where yeah. you know a, a relegation place is, is is held off that's what should have happened but Franchise FC, all of that, that's, I get that, that's how football is. But those groups of fans are kind of, they, they just annoyed me. And I know that it's a small element of a fan base. And hey, I'll call our fan base out. I did it at Sheffield Wednesday. The fans, I saw their behave disgustingly and they brought shame on our club. Um, mm. And I'm sure there'll be Sheffield Wednesday podcasts, podcasters, or if there were who witnessed that, would go, I don't really want to talk about Lincoln. They're a horrible club. And, and do you know what? Actually, I went to MK. I've said it before. I presented Kieran Agard with his Player of the Month award. And they were wonderful. They were friendly people. It was a nice ground. Half empty, but it was a nice ground. Um, I was made massively welcome. But I'll be honest, I'm just still pissed off from Boxing Day. <laughs> no, I, I, can, I can understand that one. So, I mean, obviously, Boxing Day is the yardstick i guess you can say for for what we expect from saturday um mk have obviously strengthened over the window i think they made was it three three deadline day signings um lad from uh lad from villa and i think they didn't they sign someone from man city as well matt smith that's uh, the one yeah man city yeah um, and uh, it says loan in some places but it's actually a permanent signing yeah, I saw that he'd signed permanently. Yeah, um, and then I think they've also signed another uh, one lad from Orient, I think, on permanent deal. So obviously, you know, like you say, they've got money to spend, um, and they are well, they haven't got money to spend if you look at the, you know, the the, the financial fair play side of things. Well, they that. have because they sold Matt right. They 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 sold Matt O'Reilly to Celtic. Um, and actually, Charlie oh, Brown, who I talked about, I think left as well. So they, they actually <laughs> did make some sales, and Andrew Fisher to Swansea. So to be fair, they 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 have had the money to spend okay. um, this yeah, transfer window. Um, but you know what what um, what difference do you think that they can make? And obviously, you know we've got our the signings that have come in. How do you see Saturday going? Um, and you know, can we avenge Boxing Day? 3-1 MK Dons, and I think they'll be a championship team next season. I just, they made, I, 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 this is begrudging, they made some superb signings. Liam Manning has gone in there and done a wonderful job considering their manager walked out on the eve of the season. Um, they do have an embarrassment of riches, some of it earned, as we've just said, but it, in the main, they overpay their business model. It should not just be judged on the fact that they've sold players this transfer window. Um, but they have recruited really well. You know, when Mo Isis sat on the bench uh, and he is a kind of an out and out poacher, 
Uh, and I thought he was poor actually when on, on Boxing Day, but um, yeah, they've, they've, they've strengthened really well. Matt Smith's a great signing from Man City. I guarantee you, he's cost them six figures. He's got to have done. He was a Doncaster um, the season or two ago, and he's just superb for them. Controlled the midfield. They've got such a good squad, uh, and and maybe part of my rant is based in jealousy. I don't know. Um, you know, not, I wouldn't want us to spend that way, but I look at their squad and. It's, yeah, Corbino, for instance, who's just gone there on loan. I would love him to come to us on loan. I did an article on it. I thought the, the cameo we had at Sheffield Wednesday when we played them, he just looked so dangerous. He's going to get at us down the flank. He's going to have pace. I just think they're going to have too much for us on Saturday. I think that we kind of write... In my mind, I've I've kind of written this one off. I don't want to be negative. We're going to be backed by a great following. We play very well away. We've done well at Wigan, at Sunderland, at Plymouth. Um, so it's the sort of game we win... I've just got one eye on the triple header of home games and thinking, let's just get past Saturday, get it out of the way. Because once we've played MK Dons this Saturday, I don't care if they win every game between now and the end of the season. However much I dislike either them or any other team. I dislike Oxford. I think Cole Robinson's a massive twat. But I hope they win every (laughs) game between now and the end of the season because we don't have to play them and they're not relegation rivals. So if they win every game, they're going to be beating teams against us. So get MK Dons out of the way and then that wonderful team can get to work dismantling our relegation rivals and we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not... I'm not thinking that we're going to get annihilated on Saturday, but I can't really see us taking much, if anything, from the game. Um, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, the the squad is well. It, it's one of the strongest in the division, and for you know, for good reason, they're up there. Um, are they fourth? Fourth at the moment. Um, I think so. It's a good manager. You can have a great squad and not do anything with it. Can't you, Lee Johnson? But when you're a good manager, um, yeah. I, I, and it, I think it's typified. You look at certain things like they've played Portsmouth and Wickham and they went 5-4-1 in those two games. Won both, by the way. Tactically adapted. When they played Mil- uh, when they played Burton Albion, they went 4-2-3-1. Won that game as well. But they knew that they were going to have to change things up to attack. When they played AFC Wimbledon, 3-4-2-1. So they, they kind of switch things about. Liam Manning is tactically very versatile. He's obviously a great motivator because um, to go in on the eve of the season after their manager had left and, and, and do what they've done is, is very good. Uh, I, I think they've shrugged off losing um, O'Reilly and Fisher. I think Fisher was the, I might be wrong, I think he was the keeper. Matt O'Reilly was was excellent at our place. Um they seem to have shrugged that off in beating Wickham and, and beating Burton Albion. Okay, they lo- they did lose to Doncaster, so they've got that performance in them. And I think Boxing Day, you know, by rights, they should have lost to us if we hadn't imploded. So they, they do have a shaky performance in them. I just, yeah, I just, I, it's going to be a tough game. It's the sort of game that we win. I, I said it a minute ago, I'll say it again. It is the sort yeah. of game that we go and win. Yeah. I can't see beyond... I can't see us getting anything from it personally. Yeah, no, like I said, I, 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 I am struggling to find something um, that that we will be able to take. But like you said, we've had the surprise results so far. It just depends if we can pull another one out of the bag. Um, but then, obviously, you know, it would be remiss not to mention um, before we wrap up um, that we do have that triple header of home games coming up now. You said earlier on, home form hasn't been the best. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've got three home games coming up. We've got, uh, what is it? We've got Morecambe, we've got Wickham, and we've got Doncaster. Like, I think from those nine points, you'd, you'd almost expect to take six. Um, you know, I think you'd expect to beat Morecambe, you'd expect to beat Doncaster, particularly in the way that they are at the moment. Um, I mean, Wickham is the the one that I think we'll probably not take anything from, but are these three games, the three games where we start to turn the home form around and, and really sort of right the ship a little bit more? Well, I'll talk to you about the other two next week on the podcast. I'll, I'll talk about, Wick, uh, about Morecambe now. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree Six points from these three games is bare minimum. Bare minimum. Got to beat Morecambe. Got to beat Doncaster. Simple as. Don't don't win those two games. Um, not not good. 
Morecambe is the big one because I think Doncaster Crew and Gillingham are cast aside. I think those mm-hmm. three will be relegated at the end of the season. Don't think any of them have made signings that inspire me and make me think that oh, they're going to stay up. Don't think that's going to happen. So it's one relegation space I think that we're trying to avoid. We're trying to mm-hmm. avoid that last relegation space. I think Morecambe are the ones who are red-hot favourites to be in it. If you go out on Tuesday night and do anything, anything other than beat Morecambe, then we deserve to be in a relegation spot. Their away form is not good. 2-0, they lost at Sheffield Wednesday. Last night, as we're recording, 0.64 xG. 2-2, they drew at Accrington. Fair enough, not a bad result away from home. 1.1 xG. So they were looking. They, they, they scored a goal that, you know, on reflection, probably, when I say didn't deserve, their overall play didn't deserve. Accrington Stanley had 3.41 xG. They should have walked that game. Accrington had 32 shots on goal, seven on target. Morecambe had 13-4 on target. So for me, they you know they, they were battered. It was a 2-2 battering. They mm. were away at, at Wimbledon. They drew 0-0. 0.45 XG. This is a team that do not travel well. Keep going down. Keep going down. And away at Portsmouth, lost 2-0. Fair enough, you'd expect to. 0.41 XG. Went to Sunderland, lost 5-0. Um, went to Fleetwood. They won 2-1. 0.9 XG. So again, they were lucky to get one, let alone the two. So for me, there are no easy games at this level. They're going to come to us for a draw. They're probably going to play 4-3-3, which plays into our hands a little bit because it'll be like for like, more or less. Uh, keep Colt Stockton quiet. You keep them quiet. I, I this That's a must win. That's a must win. If we lose against MK Dons and beat Morecambe, I'll be delighted. If we beat MK Dons and lose to Morecambe, same outcome, I won't be as happy because it's Morecambe that we've got to put put daylight between. The yeah. more we pull away from them, them losing last night is a game in hand. And if we were to beat them, that's a relegation six-pointer. I'll be honest, by the time we come out of Doncaster a week on Tuesday, I would expect us to have beaten Doncaster, who are shit, by the way, and have, <laughs> have not impressed me in the transfer window. I would expect us to lose to Wickham. So I'd expect us to take six points from the next four games. Yeah. I think take six points, the right six points from those games. And I think we can start them beginning not to, to be pinching our bombs every time the uh, every time an opposition team attack at Central Bank. Yeah. And I think, you know, that that points back towards, you know, two points for, a, you know, you, you try and average two points a game. And uh, yeah, I, I, I would be happy with, you know, with, with six points from, from the next four games for sure. Um, two, two points a game gets you promoted. So two points a game gets you up. 1.5 points a game, one and a half points for the rest of the season keeps us up. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't I, I can't argue, I can't disagree saying, you know, six points in the next four games. Um, it, it's just a crucial run that's coming up. Um, and hopefully, you know, we can see a little bit more of... Um, of the side that we saw at the start of January. Um, and, and that's probably me being overly harsh, but yeah, it is because I, I don't think we've been bad all the way through January. No, no, that's fair. You know, I, I, I think in terms of results, you know, that's, that's ultimately where it matters, but we beat Plymouth last Saturday. Yes, we did. But don't forget yes. there's been, you know, we've, we've had win one, lost one, win one, lost one. And there are still people that are clamoring for, uh, for a change in manager. But anyway, um, so, Probably a good spot to uh, to lead the podcast for the week. Um, obviously, you know, difficult game coming up, so it's not going to be the most jovial atmosphere. Uh, but hopefully, um, you know, we, we'll come back next week. Is there anything else? Uh, sorry, come back next week, three points better off. Is there anything else that we need to talk about before we disappear? I don't think so. Cool. Well, there we hopefully go. Hopefully I won't be dead next week. Ah, you'll be fine. We are sending all of our good vibes. Good vibes don't help. Money does. Send me tenors. That'd be nice. <laughs> hey, you still owe me for a bar tab. I know I do. Anyway. I thought about it yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. I'll pay it. I might do it now. Anyway. But, uh, right. While Gaz is uh, giving me money, we'll disappear and we'll see you guys next week. Take care and up the imps. Up the imps. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. 
As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.